Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 71. If you want to check out my past shows and notes, you can go to callthatgirl.biz slash office365. And that page has the current notes for this show, any links to the past shows, and some sponsor vendor links as well. Now, if you're new to this show, this is what it's about. It's mostly about me and my Outlook jobs, but Office 365 also. Sometimes I have a guest, and sometimes it's just me. And this week, folks, it's all just me and jobs. We're going to get back to the old days. I've been having... um, guests now for many many months it's been great but i think for the holidays we're going to take a break and just do some topics and just show uh excuse me jobs i've done and some theme topics maybe some updates a little stuff that's happening kind of getting back to the old days but uh before we get going i want to take a minute to thank our friends at upriver they are my sales and support vendor for office 365 if you are a one-man show or a small business and don't want to deal with the managing of everything. Uh, they have two plans. One is a partner plan. That That's what I have. So my clients get billed by AppRiver. They can call them for night and weekend support with just certain amount of outlook issues, of course. AppRiver doesn't do everything. And then uh, that's nice for backfill, I guess. That's what I like to say. And then you can also be a reseller where you actually do all the work and your client's cannot call app river only you can that's for probably the real tough stuff but the other thing i like is uh i know a lot of techs like using microsoft that's great they've got their own csp plans and other things but uh i just you know i'm working all day remote hot you know hot get my jobs done i'm fast i'm hot like i was trying to say and i just like having them as a backup so anyway, thank you, River, for sponsoring the show, and let's move on with some topics here this week, you guys. Not topics, jobs. I had to look back in my notes and go, wow, I haven't done a show like this in a while, so i got to come up with some good ideas of some really crazy, hairy jobs I had. And we're going to start with um, a client who called and said, <laughs> now you guys got to remember, the clients called in with one issue and when you get remoted in, you end up seeing a big, fat, hairy mess. And this is what happened to me. So the client called in and said, yeah, my iCloud is not syncing with my iPhone. Okay, pretty standard, right? That's what the client thinks is happening. And I gave the two-hour quote as usual because, you know, the chances are me fixing it in five minutes is really, really low. So I get in there, and I'm looking around. And the client's like, yeah, I also have this program called Code 2, which is supposed to synchronize the iCloud with his local Outlook calendar. And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. I've never really worked with Code 2 on a setup and install and configuration basis. I've only had to troubleshoot it. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll work with it. Fine, whatever. Well, I started looking around in his Outlook, and I'm like, things don't match up. There was nothing in the iCloud, which would make sense if it broke. So I said to the client, well, let's log into your iCloud because I want to see the data. And uh, we log into iCloud. There's nothing there. Now, I will tell you that if you've been using Outlook and you have iCloud and it's been syncing, there should be data on the iCloud.com account. And there was nothing there. So I'm like, okay, this is really messed up. So then 
when I looked at the calendar a little closer, uh, hopefully this will make sense. When you're viewing your calendar, there's a little slide bar that you can make it go wider or skinnier. And the client actually had it really skinny. So when I extended it out, it said that his calendar was on Outlook.com. And I went, oh, so the client thought it was iCloud, but it was really Outlook.com. Okay, so that kind of helped me a little bit try to figure out this mess. But here's where things start to go bad, okay? And this is a warning for everybody. So Outlook 2010 is getting really old, and it's breaking a lot with Hotmail and Outlook.com. I've got a few more jobs uh, down the job line here I'm going to talk about that includes Outlook in 2010. But see, this is what worries me about this client, is that I believe his Hotmail broke from from Outlook, and there's a couple reasons why. One is there was an update in November that broke it for sure, and then the update should have fixed that. So the Hotmail connector worked again. But Microsoft is now upgrading all the Hotmail servers, okay? And they're changing it from the Mappy or Exchange Active Sync to Office 365, which their server would be Office, excuse me, Outlook.Office365.com. Now, you got to remember, those are little, little tiny mini exchange servers. They're not really robust like the business ones. So anyway, that has been breaking a lot with Outlook 2010. And uh, without the good update and without it working, I was very nervous to do anything for this client yet because he had other things going on. And then um, here's the other thing is that he, uh, with the work he does, he had another syncing tool that was a one-way sync from his computer to Outlook And uh, he backed that up all the time. So here's what he said was, well, here's the official calendar. I want it to come down to my Outlook. And I was like, okay, we are really in a mess now. Because I know if I would have had to fix that Outlook, to get that to work, the Hotmail, it would have had to have three different types of repairs. And both would have been costly to the client and time-consuming. And there would have been no guarantee because – I get more and more frustrated with 2010 because it breaks all the time and doesn't always work. So he didn't have his discs and he didn't have any of his information. So I did all the spot checking before I did any work, which is highly recommended because if you start just uninstalling programs without the, the keys and product codes and everything else, you can get in some big trouble. But luckily luck was on my side and the client said, well, I happen to have a brand new laptop sitting here next to me. I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) thank you. I said, so how long has that been sitting there? And he's like, quite a while. And I said, well, why don't we just start doing data transfers for you and get that computer set up, not fix this. And then I thought I talked him into it because that sounded like a better idea than to spend hours trying to figure out this other mess. And I think he got confused, and I was over-teching him and over-talking, and then finally he, um, we had to go because I actually had another appointment. I said, let me call you back this afternoon, and I'll tell you what we should do with this current computer. Well, not only that, and this is not his fault, but the but the computer had not been updated for a very long time, I noticed, and um, it was also very slow. And so I took those things as a big hint that this computer needs to be shut down, you know, and he had a new one for a reason. So when we did our follow-up appointment um, that, that afternoon, 
I said to him, I said, here's our choices. And I try to manage the expectations really good. I said, I can spend two, three hours trying to get this old desktop to work, but your computer hasn't been updated and Outlook might break and you don't have the keys. I said, or we can just spend the time, get your new one set up, and we can do it on a Saturday, and I'll take all day, but in pieces. And, and you know, he was um, he was really happy with that decision, and he said, let me get back to you next week because, you know, moving to a new computer is a lot of work. You know, we all know that. It's not just easy. And I know I can help him with his basic stuff, and the program he uses for his other stuff is, has support already. But let me tell you how that afternoon I felt like I felt almost panicked. And I think he could tell that because I just kept coming across another mess, another mess, another mess. And uh, it was an hour and 15 minutes. We had two little small calls. And I was just, I I think actually when we got off the phone, I actually cried a little bit out of joy (laughs) because I was dreading him wanted to have that reworked. And I think he dreaded the drama that could come with it. Cause you know, not every client of ours understands the programs that we troubleshoot. And, um, I really felt bad for him, but anyway, it's holiday week. Thanksgiving's in a few days and I'm sure he's not worried about it right yet. Cause he got it. We, um, we got it working enough. So it would sync with his other program. That was it basically. But yeah, you guys gotta be careful when you start dig- diving into these jobs. Cause it can turn out to be other things. And, There's, you know, since Outlook's one program, well, it relies on the computer to run. Now, my next client I'm going to talk about is an interesting job, which I just found out about, and I have yet to verify this from Microsoft, but the client was pretty adamant that Microsoft said they were not going to support this. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. So what happened is, this was just last week, he ended up... um, He was on one platform of Office 365 for Business, and he had to change his plan. And I don't know if he downgraded from, like, maybe E2 or E3 down to Business Premium or or went up a plan. I don't really know. So I I guess I shouldn't even say at this point. But he called me and said, I've got six people on my system, and we all need to have our, our software reinstalled. And they had business premium and they were all logged into their own accounts. I said, I don't get it. Why do you have to uninstall it completely? Can't you just log off? And he said, no. And I said, well, let's try it anyway. Okay. I was like, cause normally when uh, clients, you know, have the right version installed for what they bought, you can just log out, log in and there's no problems. Well, it is true. I, uh, I kept getting this product was not licensed and it would not let me log in. I tried a few tricks, and it just would not let me get through. So I here's how I try to do it when, um, if I can, is I uninstall the whole Office 365 program, then I reboot, then I install it fresh. And uh, normally that takes maybe 15, 20 minutes now. It's not very long these days. And uh, we got logged in, and everything worked. And then, but prior to that, uh, I did a spot check on everybody's computer and everything. They were all logged in correctly. So I'm not 100% sure how this job is. Um, I haven't heard anybody else have this problem. But if you have seen this already, please email me and let me know. Um, the the new Office 365 they put them on was just called Office 365 Business. I've never seen just that. 
and it, and it kind of was strange, but I did have to reboot the whole thing and or uninstall it rather and and do all that and then it worked and I, and the thing is is I said why wouldn't Microsoft do that for him and he said they absolutely will not so I end up you know I mean for me it was a nice billable job but for other people he was what he told me is he was scared to lose all his data and I was like I don't blame you man you know I mean at least I know how to back up stuff and all that so that's why he came looking for me but uh, anyway, like I said, if anybody knows about that, please email me, Lisa, at callthatgirl.biz, because I need to see it again to believe it. But then last week, I took a wonderful little SharePoint job, which, you know, I'm kind of like not so against SharePoint lately, because I'd rather see people on that than on the OneDrive, of course. But I have a little tip for y'all. There is some big changes coming our way for the uh, Office 365 Administrator Control Panel. I was told by a little bird that it's going to dramatically change, and we're going to start seeing a lot more stuff available in the Admin Control Panel for SharePoint, OneDrive, um, all the extras, the bells and whistles and everything. So it's not just going to be for like the regular admin and Exchange. It's going to have everything. And you can control, apparently, a lot more of the OneDrive sharing and things like that, which I think might actually change my mind a little bit. But as long as that sync tool works, dang it. But So anyway, this company hired me to uh, help them figure out some snags. And uh, interestingly, uh, the new SharePoint sync tool was working. But they also had two other versions of OneDrive, which I don't know how these people get in such big messes. And they didn't get it either. But I think what happens is they just start clicking buttons and then things just pop up on the computer. Well, they basically had um, one person had two SharePoint, excuse me, connections. And I had to do, this is how I fix it. I go to the SharePoint on the desktop. I put in a test file. I go to the online portal. I go see if the test file syncs or not, and vice versa. I will go put one in the online portal and see if it comes down, and that's how you figure out which one's right. Well, after I figured that out, that wasn't a problem. The problem is, is how do you remove all these Windows File Explorer extra OneDrive connections that are tied into File Explorer? So that's on my research list. Um, I've only been asked a couple times to remove OneDrive from Windows 10. And uh, to me, I got lucky. I Googled it real quick because I don't work with it all that much. But I'd really like to figure out the proper way to remove it all instead of having to Google. So, again, I'm asking for your help. If you know how to do that, please let me know and we can share it on the show. But anyway, that was like a one-hour job. I did two people. And they've got ten people in their office. So, uh, I'm hoping I kind of train them enough. I really hate to build, I mean, I hate to say this, but I hate to build clients for five hours for work like this because that's a lot of money. And um, I think I kind of showed the two people just enough for them to figure out more on their own. Because to me, that's just kind of wasted tech help. I don't know. And some of you might argue that with me, but I do. All right, so then I had another lady who found me on the Internet who was more than thrilled to want to buy an eight-hour ticket for me, but it was um, she was leaving on vacation. I was like, drat, I love those eight-hour tickets. But uh, we ended up just getting what she needed fixed now for her trip. And basically it was she wanted to share her calendar 
with her assistant, and uh, she just set up the Office 365, had everything configured. But you know what? Again, this global address list always likes to default to the offline global address list, which can mess up when you're giving permissions. So as a tip for you guys, when you go to set up permissions for calendaring, make sure that when you go up to – let me go f- follow it along here on my outlook. When you uh, right-click on the calendar, go to Properties, and then go to Permissions, and then hit Add, the default is Offline Global Address List. And uh, if people travel or whatever, they have to have the real one. So click it, go down and pick Global Address, and it's going to be the exact same, and then you should not have any uh, sharing problems. That's what a lot of people are calling me for, and it's just ridiculous that Outlook would pick the offline one as default, and it's just horrible. But then I end up spending more time with her showing her a bunch more tricks because I like showing people cool stuff about Office that I know. And then we got to work, and then we got her assistant all set up. And, and uh, you know, it was, I think, an hour-and-a-half job, and we got a lot done because I kept saying, oh, do you know about this and, and that and cool stuff? And and um, she seemed happy because when you travel, you got to know all the little tricks. All right, and then I did a um, migration, I think uh, Friday, last Friday I did the migration. And, um, you know, I kind of said I'm going to commit to using migration ways now for every job over like maybe one person, which manually is just faster with one or two people, I, I think, here. But, but anyway, it was not a rush job by any means, but I finally got the, the data all synced up on a, on a Thursday night. One of the clients had like almost four gigs of data. And so what I do in my pre-scope work is I check the migration with mailbox sizes. And then before I do the actual migration in Outlook and set up the profile, I go and do a spot check of two things. I will check the folder size in Outlook. And then I go to the OST and check the file size there as well. Because I want to make sure that they're about the same. They will never ever be the exact same size but if they're off by a gig that concerns me or if they're even off more than a gig that very much concerns me because that usually means that the imap folder in outlook is corrupted so i'll try to explain it this way if your migration list says four gigs and the ost says four gigs and the folder says oh excuse me i take that back if migration whiz says four gigs and the Outlook folder says four gigs, but the OST file says eight gigs, that means there's four gigs of corrupted data somewhere, and that makes me nervous. And I guess you could flip-flop, too, and say the folder size and the OST, but if they're off by any means, always back up just to have a copy. Export out the inbox and get all the subfolders. And make sure uh, if it's an IMAP migration that you export out the calendar and contacts because that does not get caught up in the migration list. So anyway, uh, so what I did for this client is everything all matched up for the most part. So I was like, all right, it looks good, you know. And um, because they were IMAP, I did all their their calendar backups and their contacts. And then I do some peeking around to make sure, you know, that there's uh, nothing else I'm missing. And now because... That took me maybe 40 minutes to do five people or whatever, right? I was ready to cut the servers and 
start getting the new profile set up. And that's what I love about migration was, is that it totally takes care of all me having to export and wait and wait and wait. Because if you're on an old computer, the exporting can take a long time. And then the worst part is setting up the, the profile and letting it all download forever. So that's where that uh, migration was comes in very handy. And I will let you know that this was not the easiest one for me to set up because everybody gave me wrong passwords. I'm whispering that because it wasn't a big deal. But you got to have the correct passwords to make your setup go smoother. <laughs> but anyway, so I thought everything looked good. I did after the email was downloaded. I did it in the afternoon, and it was an East Coast company. So the good news is, is that hey, it's only two o'clock for me in Vegas. It's five o'clock for them. I could just muck around with it in the afternoon, do my fine tuning, and uh, you know I'm fairly confident that I do such a good aftercare now that there should be almost no questions anymore. Like I don't even need to schedule aftercare anymore because I'm like I already know I did such a rock star job. Well, lady, this morning <laughs> she's such a sweetie. I sent out emails last night telling everybody about what to watch for. If you have a list of problems, keep a little list and we can check in during the day. And she called me at six o'clock in the morning, which is nine o'clock in Florida. And I was still sleeping and it woke me up and I don't mind that, but I was like, Oh, I'm already having migration panic. So I finally roll out of bed and call her up and I'm like, um, she then she had emailed me and said my my active folders are missing and I'm like most of the time here's what's funny is most of the time people forget to go open up a little arrow to find their subfolders and I asked her I said did you open to open up all the the folders she said yeah and I was like well okay so what I did for this job instead of backing up everything because it appeared to be about the right size. I just created a new profile called Office 365 and left the other profile intact. Now, the reason why I leave that old profile intact is because of issues like this. And I really get concerned when I see techs on forums say, oh, delete the old profile and then make a new one. There is no reason why you need to delete an old profile because that might have data in it you need. Just make sure you check the box to prompt for a new profile or only open the new one. But leave that old one. It'll save your butt one day. So anyway, I logged into the old one, and there were all these active files that did not get in migration was, and I don't know what happened, and you know, fluke or whatever. But flukes happen. That's how tech is. So what I did to make this go quick, because initially I was like, oh man, do I got to rework all these folders somehow? I just made a PST file called missing folders. I went to the old profile. I added the PST called missing folders. I copied, thank God, they were all in just one tree. I copied them out. I did not cut them. I copied them out, put them in the missing folders PST. I closed it up, went to the new profile, added the missing folders PST, and then I copied them back in one by one. Now, I could have done it probably in a big tree, but she had many that were corrupted, and this is why the numbers were off just slightly, and I didn't catch it, I think, too, is uh, some of the folders she goes, I couldn't delete those before. I said, because when IMAP is corrupted, you cannot do some things. One is delete folders. That's a huge signal to an IMAP uh, mailbox being corrupted. Now, you can fix the corrupted IMAP by just doing a fresh download. 
that should fix it. But I was like, ah, yep, you were one of those that had the corrupted IMAP folder. <laughs> well, no, I said, you won't have that anymore, and that'll be good for you. So anyway, save the day, got our folders back, and I just I might look into that with migration was why that got missed, because normally it does not. And that might have been a problem on my end. I don't know. But uh, I'm not blaming them, but that's just something you want to spot check, because no migration's perfect. Nothing is ever seamless as much as we want to think and and shit happens okay now let's move on to the next shit happens job so this client as uh outlook 2010 with my very least favorite program gmail um as you all know i'm not a big fan of it but it, i should love it it brings me lots of moolah but anyway, I, I think that uh, what I just severely don't like is how Gmail has like no boundaries of email limitations and poor 2010 got choked down to nothing. Um, people that have been using Gmail for like many, many, many years, they don't even know how much email they have in their inbox. They don't check the size ever until something blows up, right? Well, she hers did blow up. I think she had 100, oh God, I want to guess now. 100,000 emails in the inbox, maybe with the sent and deleted, I don't know, but it was 30 gigs almost. It was pretty heavy. And with 2010, you can get lucky on an OST with with uh, Gmail that, that has an OST file, but the thing is it'll never shrink in size, okay? So even if you, like, take out 20 gigs of it, you have to almost take it out have it sync up with the server and then create a new profile to only have the size it should. Well, anyway, the first call I had with her was awesome. We, um, here's a little trick I do now. And I don't know if I've ever told you guys about the trick or not, but it's super nifty. I love it. Um, Steven Taylor from the it bog and Facebook showed me part of the trick. I knew one of the tricks, but this is the full trick. So I'm gonna give him props. Okay, so in your Gmail account on the browser, when you log in, this is not the trick, but this is just a way to verify stuff. At the very bottom of your inbox, it'll tell you how much space you're using in Gmail. So let's say 30 gigs. It says 30 gigs used. Well, if you click on it, it goes to another browser window that'll say actually how much is in the email and what's in Google Drive. So let's say you actually have 30 gigs and there's actually 30 gigs of email. Now, 2010, like I said, you're choking it. It's going to explode, which is what happened to my client. Okay, but if you go to the little flower wrench, that's what I call it, and I'm going to do it right now so I can follow along here. You go to the flower wrench, and then you go down to, um, one sec, I want to make sure I say the right things. Yeah, hold on. Okay, the flower wrench, then go to um, settings. And then at the top next to general is labels, okay? Now, there's a system labels list, uh, categories, circles, stuff like that. In the next column, it says show and label list. Now, if you say show or hide, that's what's going to show up in your browser. Okay, so leave that alone because that doesn't really matter. But over on the far right, there's a little checkbox next to show in IMAP, okay? Show in IMAP is, means it's going to show an outlook, and that's how it probably is for Thunderbird also or any other email program outside of uh, the browser here. So the trick is for Outlook 2007, I think, and 2010, by default, when you start up a new Gmail IMAP account, 
it will bring down the all mail and the important folders, which to me are just big cluster Fs of duplication, okay? And here's what I mean by that, is the important folder is just a label that, that Gmail deems as, hey, I think this is important for you, but really it's just a duplication of your inbox, all right? If you're not comfortable with hiding it, do a few tests. Shut it off, and then see what happens. See if you're missing any mail. The all mail is definitely a duplication of your inbox and your sent items. So this is what's really happening to people in 2010 mostly too. They go set up their Gmail and IMAP. They bring down all their mail. And also don't forget that they forget to turn off the filter applied trick. So they got email missing as well. But um, they're just loaded with duplication of the inbox, the regular one. They're all mail. They're important mail. And really, uh, so for her, in the first half hour I helped her, what we did was we shut off the IMAP for those two. Then we closed Outlook, relaunched it, let it sync up, and it did not bring in all that mail. So her Outlook actually worked better, but the unfortunate part is she still had that 30-gig OST file, which was just like, you know, it's like a 500-pound person losing 400 pounds and having a – Losing a lot of weight and having all the skin, you know, that's what it's like for poor outlook. It's like dragging all the skin around. So, uh, anyway, I told her, well, now in your next appointment, let's try to clean up this mess and get off some more data. And then eventually we'll have to just bring down a fresh copy. And she was like, then let's just go back to pop. (laughs) And I was like, there you go. There's your answer. She liked pop better. And I was like, I'm going to agree with her. Because for her, she only used it on one computer, and she didn't sync her phone. And I was like, there you go, winner. It was a great answer. So um, I just went through a whole bunch of stuff with you guys with IMAP and the Outlook. And the final thing was the filters applied. I do want to cover that real quick because that is a freaking nightmare for those that don't know how to do it. So if you download a fresh Gmail, uh, and this is actually for all IMAP too, not just Gmail. You download it fresh, and at the very bottom of your Outlook, um, you should see items and a number, okay? If you start clicking on folders and you see filter applied, that means it's it's hiding mail uh, kind of off the server, and most people I know want it all in Outlook. And this is also a good way to go and find a lot of huge uh, folders that are hiding on you. So what you do is down in the items, I'm just saying 19 because that's what my inbox is. You right-click on that, and you can see there's a filter option, right? Well, you can't turn it off there. So what you have to do is if you see the items number, you're okay. But if you see filter applied, double-click it. A box is going to pop up. Then you can say clear filters. Okay, I think that's what it says. You click that button, but that's only going to clear the filters for that one folder. Now, if you're dealing with somebody that has hundreds of folders, which is very common, then you go up to the View button and Outlook. Go over to the Change View button, and down below it says Apply Current View to Other Calendar, or I'm in my calendar, Other Folders. And then another box pops up, and then you can click Include Subfolders. And then hit OK, and then every single folder will lift the filters. Now, that's a tip for you guys when you are also dealing with an IMAP manual migration. You want to make sure before you export out, 
if you're doing IMAP or Gmail, that you do that filter first and make sure that all that mail is there because if you export it out with the filters off, they might not come back. All right. And that's also why we back up without deleting the profile because if we have to go back and get something, it's right there. No deleting profiles, folks. Okay. Now we're going to discuss, um, let's see. Oh, boy. Uh, today I actually got two, again, not my favorite, Enom, which if you guys are listening and you don't know what Enom is, I really am not 1,000% sure myself, but I think they're the DNS manager for Google, or they were, or I don't know what. But in the past day, which is just today, I've had two Enom calls, and I just hate Enom. <laughs> but I actually learned a little bit about it, so I'm going to share with you folks about it. Okay, so as you know, Gmail is switching over to G Suite, which since I don't support Google, uh, I just try to get people away from Google. I don't really feel the need to keep up with all their administrative controls, their suites, and all that stuff, but... I do keep an eye on things because I have to know enough to be able to troubleshoot and figure out stuff, right? So anyway, the first job today, a client who I helped do a migration last year was on, uh, they were on Google, uh, regular Google apps, and they were having struggles with it, and they said, we want to go to Exchange. And I said, that's fine. Well, I don't remember every single problem I have when I have to update DNS records, you know. And this client called and said, Lisa, we don't have any email since Friday. I'm like, oh, my God, client. Well, it's either two things. You have a huge server problem, which I'm doubting, or you didn't pay your bill. <laughs> and this client was like, oh, we pay our bill because we paid the bill to AppRiver. And I said, well, that's not the bill I'm talking about. And he's like, well, we got rid of Google. I said, I, I, I know, but there, you still have a domain that's registered pro with somebody. And, you know, I didn't even think about looking in my notes for this, by the way. But, uh, well, I, I did, but not if I kept these DNS settings. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, you know. it. Uh, I don't feel the need to retain all my clients' data for everything. Well, anyway, we went on a goose chase to figure this out and... The Google Admin Control Panel, I'm just going to let you know that it uh, seems pretty handy that you can just click on buttons, but the domains area is hidden down below in the Admin Control Panel. I think it says more with a little tiny arrow. It's so hidden it sucks. Like, they don't want you to get in there, so they hide it at the very bottom. But once you're in there, okay, then there's a button that says, uh, I don't know, like full round with my DNS or something, something like that. Well, when you click on it, here's the issue is that the enom settings are built into the Google Administrative Control Panel. And in this little box is your domain and your password. And you got to write that password down. You cannot copy and paste it. And you're supposed to be able to right-click on the button, and it's supposed to log you in automatically. I've never seen that done. So I'm just teaching you now that you need to go write down that password that it's just not your Google admin password either. It's a special password for this Enom control panel. Then you can log in and see your uh, records and stuff. So prior to this drama, I found out that the client did not shut off their Google payments. So they actually got billed. Well, actually, I take that back. 
once I figured out all this mess, they had not paid their bill for Google and the domain. But see, when it said that it they owed like 140 bucks, I told the client, just pay for the whole thing. You got to get your email back. We'll deal with this later, right? So anyway, then I, I uh, got that far. But then the email wasn't coming back, and I started panicking. So I decided to call Google. And I got to tell you how lovely their people are on the phone. Oh, my God. I had the best fella in the world. And um, you have to have a pin just to let you know if you call them, kind of like PayPal. But uh, anyway, so then we got that done. We double-checked the DNS records. Unlike other companies like, let's just say, some you know I don't like also, they would have deleted all the records. At least these folks keep copies of them. And uh, the, the the MX record was just fine. I think it just took time for, for it to, you know, get through the server to say the payment's been made. And by the time I was done with talking to this fellow on the phone, who, like I said, was awesome, the emails were starting to deliver, and the client was happy. And then I told the guy at Google, I said, now, look, just to let you know that this client just paid you guys like 140 bucks. I couldn't tell what was what. I knew he didn't need the G Suite or the old Google Apps because he was on Exchange. So this guy gave us the credit, 125 bucks, and I feel good. And for me, uh, it's an odd billable call, um, but it was a billable call, of course. And now, yes, all the notes will be in for next year. But now the client's like, well, now let's switch off Google for our domain. And I'm like, well, that takes some time to switch you know, domain registers and all that stuff. So I said, let's do that later. Let's not do that today. Now, if it was a crisis, yes. But still, you have to have, you know, you got to be in the accounts to be able to do the domain transfer. It's just not like you can just say, hey, let's switch it over now. Well, the other client with the Enom, uh, interestingly, this one should be a little bit easier, I'm hoping. Um, they thought the client thought that somebody else was managing all their accounts. And then it turns out that uh, when you go to network tools, which I use a lot, that it's all Google, hundred percent Google in there. And so the other story was a little more dramatic. This one will be dramatic probably for my next show. I'm doing a migration. Um, doing it today, actually partially the client is on a Mac with 25 gigs in their Gmail. And, yep, I know Migration Whiz can do it, but I told the client, I don't want to choke your Outlook, which I've been using the word choke a lot because it is like choking it, with 25 gigs of just old redundant email that you don't need. So I'm actually migrate, or I'm actually downloading all 25 gigs to my laptop, and then I'm going to part it out into different PST files, and I'm going to leave some of it on the Gmail server, and then just enough. Leave, uh, let Migration Wiz do the rest, and then bring it over as a PST file later, overnight it through Dropbox, and say, look, you can just keep it right in your PST folder in your Mac now. And, you know, the thing is with uh, any Outlook and any kind of syncing, email, Gmail, whatever, Exchange, less is more. I mean, I know some people that actually have 44 gigs of email on their Exchange server, which is fine. But to me, I don't see a point in uh, over overdoing it. Less is more, you know. Especially if you don't need it on the road, you don't need it to be synchronized and whatever. So anyway, so that's kind of my my jobs this week. Um, for those that uh, was waiting for maybe some updates in the beginning, I decided to do them at the end. 
And I just want to share with everybody that I have officially done 103 shows now total since 2010. My very first podcast was with Steve Cherbino at Podnuts. And I was laughing with Mitch about that because I said, oh, my God, I didn't even know what a podcast really was. I was in a huge echoey room. I had a shitty webcam. I had a crappy mic. And it was just a mess, but it was funny. And I'll never forget that. And I thank Steve for having me on. And then throughout the years, I've had different shows and stuff like that. But this one here, I put out quite a bit, 40-some for this this show alone. Um, Just want to remind everybody about the Facebook groups. And there's a new group I found, which is kind of fun. And uh, I've really enjoyed being a part of it. It's called Screw the 9 to 5. I'll put up a link in the show. I don't know if you have to be invited. I don't think so. But it's kind of cool. It's got like 38,000 members, but it's just kind of full of just entrepreneur types. Yeah, there's a few marketing, you know, coaches in there that try to bait and switch you to hire them, but but really you can feel through those people. But there's a lot of cool ideas, and I'm really enjoying that. It's kind of like a little water cooler for business and marketing talk. But anyway, I'm going to put all the links to the show or put all these Facebook links in there. Uh, if you just go search Screw the 9 to 5, you'll find it on Facebook. Just join yourself. Um, and then because the show will be out before black Friday, I will also put a link in my show for the black Friday deals that I have with all my tech friends where you can get some great steals and deals for 40 to 50% off. I myself came up with a wonderful little, little package of fun for outlook and office 365, which is kind of a kickoff to some more training things I got rolling here and my tech 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 support I'll be doing. And it's kind of like a little lead-in um, with my deal, I'll tell you. Uh, you're getting like six, seven things in one little package, and I think it's very worthwhile. If you are serious about learning Outlook and Office 365 and how to support it for your clients. So there we go, folks. That is it. Uh, I want to close up the show. If you have a story you want to share, of course, please email me, lisa at callthatgirl.biz. Make sure to check out my eBooks. They are not on sale with this Black Friday at all. So you can get them at callthatgirl.biz slash publications. And uh, if you want to get signed up for my newsletter and things like that, you can email me, Lisa, at callthatgirl.biz. This has been a Heyman Hendrickson production, audio supported by Mitch Heyman. Thank you to our sponsor, Upriver, and Podbean for hosting. See you guys next week. Have a good one.